Praise the Lord, everyone. Be happy to be in the house of the Lord this evening. I'm happy to be in the house of the Lord. It is a privilege. Is it an honor? It is an honor to serve the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. If you have known where it was that he brought me from, just knowing you might understand why I worship the way I worship. There's a possibility that you could grasp my gratitude. But I know where it is that he brought me from. That is the why. That is the reason why I lift my hands and I praise him with everything I have. I don't take for granted one opportunity to stand in the house of the Lord, to stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, raising my voice and honoring him. Again, I ask, are you happy to be in the house of the Lord this evening? Yes. It is truly an honor. You know, you never, when you look at your phone and you see the caller ID and it's Pastor Bradford, you never really know what to expect. Honestly, I didn't really expect to preach tonight, but as soon as I got the call, the Lord quickened something to my heart and it's just felt right. So tonight, I want to give my heart to you, but before we get into the Word of God, I have to give honor to this church for what it stands for, for what it's been in my life, my parents, to the ministry. If you were not here a couple of weeks ago when these young men gave the Word, it was a blessing to me knowing that the word of God that I preach, that I hold so dear, is in capable hands. It's in hands of young men that will study. It's in hands of young men that will lean into an anointing. It's in the hands of young men that will pray, that will worship. Glad that I heard what I heard. It did my heart good. And I'm always very, 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 and my wife is notorious for adding one more very nervous whenever I speak before this assembly. I often wish that I could sing so like Brother Fields I could get the butterflies out of the way. But tonight if you have your Bibles Turn to the book of Mark, the 16th chapter. Reading at verse 7, and then we'll go to Romans chapter 11. Mark 16, verse 7. The setting here is Mary and Martha heading to the tomb after Jesus has been crucified and 
they find there a instead of the tomb being blocked with a stone the stone was rolled away and they find in the tomb where Jesus should have been was an angel that sat there and the angel had asked them had a conversation who do you seek and they said we seek Jesus and he gives them a command he tells them but go your way tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee there shall you see him as he said unto you in Romans chapter 11 verse number 29 the writer gives to us for the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance for a few moments of time like to preach my heart to you on this subject not forgotten not forgotten lay your Bibles down could you please put your hands in the air and worship with me as we pray for the remainder of this service God I love you I appreciate you Lord I acknowledge you in this house tonight Lord I acknowledge your anointing I acknowledge you, Lord, upon me, Lord. I ask you that you would strengthen me and give me the ability and the strength and the boldness, Lord, to speak your word, the boldness to lean into your anointing, the boldness, Lord, to give it to, to these people as you've given it to me. I trust you. I believe you. God, I ask, Lord, that you would change a heart, change a life, starting with mine. In Jesus' name I pray. I give you honor. Can you clap your hands before the Lord today? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You can be seated. It's Jesus that is sitting down with his disciples at the Passover in Luke chapter number 22, starting with verse number 31. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and to death Jesus said I tell thee Peter the cock shall not crow this day before thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest me what a prophecy you're setting down with the master you're setting down with Jesus Jesus proclaims to you that the enemy of your soul desires to have you. The enemy of your soul wants to shake you. He wants to shake the very foundations of what you believe in. But he said, I've prayed for you. Could it be that Peter, in this mindset, as he walks in the garden with Jesus, 
begins to pray hard for him to pray with this revelation in his mind that you're going to deny the one you love, fighting with it, trying to grasp what was told to him. Could it be that with this mind that Peter had disturbed that that's the reason when the soldiers came up that he did something that, that was so out of the norm because you didn't approach a Roman soldier as I understand history they were feared they were they they would they they wreaked havoc on wherever they went they were they were feared of all men when they walked you would bow and you would move out of their way you dare not approach them but with this revelation he wanted to show that God I am going to go with you all the way even unto death that he reaches up and he approaches the Roman soldier and cuts his ear off and as he's trying to no doubt slice into the head of the soldier could it be that it's that mindset that he's under this heavy load that he does such a thing the Bible tells us that Peter follows at a distance as they take him away as they lead Jesus away Peter is at a distance as he's led from the garden. And in Luke chapter 22, starting with 55, it tells us that as he followed him, that and when they came, and when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall, they were set down together, Peter set among them. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, this man also was also with him. And he denied him, saying, Woman, I know him not. A little while, and after a little while, another saw him and said, Thou art also of, him, of them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. And about a space of one hour, another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth. This fellow was also with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately while he yet spake, the cock crew. Peter wept bitterly and walked from that place knowing that the prophecy had just been fulfilled. I can only imagine the sound that resounded from that bird how loud it must have echoed through Peter's mind how that he was ready to die for Jesus but yet he said I don't know him I know him not Peter went away bitterly weeping and bitterly sorrowful because Peter indeed did know him as the provider Peter knew in Luke chapter 5 that when Jesus called him, he was a fisherman. And he tells him to go out a little farther and let down your nets, and they were filled. Even though he had toiled with no success. You see, Peter knew that he was a provider. Peter also knew that Jesus was the healer. 
For the Bible tells me that his mother-in-law was sick unto death. And Jesus goes to her house and raises her up and heals her. The man that as they confronted him and told him, Thou art the man that was with Jesus, denied and said, I don't know him. He was the one that stood beside Jesus as blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, received his sight. It was Peter that stood beside Jesus as the leper was healed, no doubt standing behind him to shadow, to protect him from the leprous person. It was Peter that witnessed the deaf ears that were open and the mouth that was open was able to speak. It was Peter that witnessed the healing of the woman with the issue of blood. For you see, Peter knew him, but yet he said, I know him not. Peter understood and knew that he was the peace giver. For in Mark chapter 4, they were in a storm, a storm of their life. They were fishermen, but the Bible lets me to know that they were scared enough in that boat and in that storm that the boat was filling up and Jesus was asleep on a pillow. And they cried out to Jesus and said, Jesus, carest not that we perished? Don't you even care that we're dying here? Don't you even care that the boat is filling up and you, you, you have the time and you have the audacity to go to sleep on a pillow while we are suffering, we are fearing death? He knew him as a peace giver because in the middle of their storm, in the middle of what life was wreaking havoc, in the middle of what they didn't know how to get out of, all that Jesus had to do was stand on the bow of the boat and give a command, peace, be still. And there was not only a calm, but the Bible calls it a great calm. Peter knew him. Peter learned to trust him. For in Matthew chapter 14, again, we find them on another boat. And they are out in the midst of the sea and a storm arises. Jesus is not with them. But we find that Jesus comes walking upon the water. And Peter, the man that denied him three times, is the very one that said, Jesus, if it's you, if it's you, Lord, I want you to bid me to come. And it was Jesus that said, come on, Peter. And he trusted him enough that to go against all reality, to go against everything, to go against the very nature of what was happening in the middle of a storm, man is not supposed to walk on water, to go against nature itself and step out of a boat into a storm and walk upon the water. It was Peter that trusted God enough to say, I'm going to come to you where you are. He knew him. He knew him as the, the one he could trust. That when he took his eyes off of him and he began to fall into the water, all he had to do was reach out to him. And it was Jesus that reached down to where he was and pulled him up into safety. He knew that I could trust him, for, G for Peter knew him. Peter knew 
Jesus as the restorer. Because as they walked, as they walked into the country of the Gadarenes, there was a man that was in the tombs. His family didn't want him. The people, they tried to, to tame him. The people, they tried to hold him. But he was cutting himself with stones. He was tormented by the enemy. He was tormented by his life situations. He was tormented by his addictions. He was tormented by the things that life had dealt him. He was tormented, and nobody wanted anything to do with him. But Peter watched As Jesus restored the mind of the demoniac, as he took what as he took what nobody wanted, he took what everybody had cast away. I kind of look at that as my life sometimes. That there's parts of my life that nobody wanted. There's parts of my life that. That, that, that no one wanted to accept because I was tormented in an addiction. I was tormented in, in, in things of the flesh. But I was isolating myself. But I know him as a restorer. Because the Bible tells us that the, demon, the demoniac was set and he was clothed and then he was in his right mind. Peter knew him. As the Savior. For you see, Jesus was walking with his disciples one day, and he turns to them and he says, Whom do men say that I am? They responded and said that, Well, some say that you are Elias or one of the prophets. And he broke it down a little further, and Jesus asked, But who do you say that I am? And it was Peter. They stood up and said, Thou art the Christ and the Son of the living God. And Jesus told him, Flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven has revealed it to you. And upon this rock, upon this revelation, upon this thought, upon your revelation, upon your acknowledgement of me, upon your, 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 your realization of who I am, I'm going to build the kingdom of God, and you're going to have the keys to open that kingdom. Peter knew him as the Savior. But yet, Peter found God to be all these things. Witnessed the mighty and the great hands of God, the great works of God. Peter knew Jesus, but yet said, I know him not. Jesus called him to be a follower of him. How is it that you can call me, Lord, out of a world, but yet watch me fail? Getting down to where we live. How is it that you've called me 
to a higher plane. But yet I still stumble. I still falter. I still fail. Very profound. There's a lot of strength to be gained when Jesus tells Peter that your enemy wants to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. But what did he pray? For the brock he prayed that his faith fail not. Jesus could have just as easily said, but I prayed for you and you're not going to have to worry about that trial. Just as simple as speaking the calm onto the sea, Jesus could have said, I've put Satan in his place. You don't have to worry about it. Just as easy as when we pray, we pray, God, I don't want to go through this. It's just as easy for God to say, okay, I'm just going to move it out of your way. You're just going to walk just like the children of Israel. You're going to walk right across on dry ground. Your enemy's not going to affect you. But he prayed. That your faith fail not. You've got to have faith because I'm going to take you somewhere. You've got to have faith because in your failure, out of the burnt ashes, I'm going to lift you up. Out of what, what seems to be desolation, out what seems to be annihilation, what seems to be down for the count, you've got a 10 count. You stand no standing eight. You've got a 10 count looking you in the face. There's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. You've got a file that's in front of you that says you're going to be in prison for the rest of your life. But I'm telling you that God's saying, hey, if I can try you a little bit, if I can mold you a little bit, if I can bring you down a little bit, then I can make you as gold. I can turn you into what you, what I want you to be. Because I want there to be a willingness that you pull towards me. He had to take Peter from the man that held the keys to the kingdom from that proud arrogance of, of look at me. I'm going to stand one day and I'm going to open up a door. I don't even know what the door is, but I'm going to open up a door and I'm going to hold the keys to the kingdom. He had to bring him down and say, look, I've got to be able to send you to a people that you don't you, you despise. I've got to be able to send you to a people that you don't, that you don't understand why I'm calling them. I've got to be able to send you to a Gentile nation. I've got to mold you. I've got to make you, Peter. Jesus had no doubt that Peter could trust him while he's standing there performing the miracles. But Peter, are you going to have that same faith and that same trust when I'm not with you in the flesh? When my spirit is the only thing that's with you, when you can no longer see me, are you still going to trust me, Peter? And when you can no longer, and, and when you can no longer reach out and touch me, Peter, can you trust me then? When you're sinking on what seems to be life's ocean 
and I'm not there to physically grab your hand and pull you out of that, are you still going to trust me to look up and say, God, it's not my way, but it's your way? Are you still going to be able to trust me, Peter, whenever I'm not there with you? Jesus needed Peter to trust him when he was only feeling the tug of the spirit and not the leading of the man walking among him. The Bible lets us know that when Peter went away weeping, at some point he makes his way back to where he first met Jesus out on a boat fishing where the miracle first happened. There's many thoughts. I've heard other preachers preach about what their idea is about the thought process of Peter going back to the boat. Some say he was going back to the only thing that he knew. Jesus was gone. There was nothing else for him to do. He was just going back to what he knew to do because he was a fisherman. But somewhere in me, I have a different take because I too have been at this place Though I've failed, if I can just make it back to that point of repentance, if I can just make it back to that place where I first felt him, if I can make it back to that mindset of where I was when I first knelt upon my knees, and it was heaven touching earth, as I felt the Holy Ghost coming into my life, if I could just make it back to that point, if I could get to that place again, I know in my heart it was Peter saying, it's gonna happen again. I know that I've failed, I know that I've come short, but I can just get to back to that point. If I could get to back to that place, what was I doing at that hour? What was I doing at that time? If I could just replicate that again, is it, is it possible that there could be another miracle? Is it possible that Jesus would come my way again even though I failed him? Peter not realizing that it was Jesus on the banks that's telling him to go out a little further. But then can you imagine the relief that's in his mind as he looks and he sees that it's Jesus on the shore and the miracle has happened again because he's made it back to that place. He's made it back to that point in his life where he was just doing his own thing and Jesus came in and said, let me take you to a higher place. Let me lead you and let me guide you. Get back to the place where you're moldable. Get back to the place where you're pliable. Get back to the place where I can lead you. Get back to the place where it's not you, but it's me. Get back to that place 
place where it's all me, it's all my miracle. It's not your miracle, but it's mine. Get back to that place where I can use you. Jesus, after the bound of a fish, they're sitting at dinner. In John chapter number 21, so when they had dined, he saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, thou son of Jonas, I want you to notice something. He said, Simon, everybody looked. Everybody raised their head. Peter, all eyes were on Jesus, because what's coming next? Simon, son of Jonas. He wanted to make sure that it was Peter he was talking to. He said, Simon Peter, son of Jonas. If there was another Simon in the room, I'm not talking to you. If there's another Peter in the room, I'm not talking to you. Because there's only one Simon Peter, Simon the son of Jonas. There's only one of them. I want you to know that I'm talking to you. It's why I want you to know that it is you that I am addressing right now when I ask this question. He said, lovest thou me more than these, Peter? I can only imagine Peter with his head down in some feeling of probably some condemnation said, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said, Feed my lambs. He saith again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, again. He was making it a clear point that I'm talking to you, Peter. I'm not talking to anybody, any other Peter or any other Simon in the room. I'm talking to you because I've got a question for you. I've got something that you need to answer. Lovest thou me? Now I'm trying to put myself in Peter's mind right now. Because I'm sure that Peter, the hair is starting to stand up on the back of his head. The goosebumps are starting to come up. Because this is the second time that he's asked me, lovest thou me? Peter, I don't think his head was down this time. I think his head was up and he's looking Jesus in the eye. And he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. And Jesus said unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, again making the very clear point. I'm talking to no one else in the room. I'm clearly speaking to you. Do you love me? Lovest thou me? And Peter was grieved at this point. But I think that grief was because he come from condemnation to an elation of he's addressing me again and asking me that question. Maybe there's some clarity, maybe there's some forgiveness here that's coming in, but he's grieved going, okay, I've answered it twice. Am I answering this wrong? Am I doing something wrong here? Is there something that I'm not, that I'm not seeing? But he answers him anyway. He, he said, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. 
Thou knowest that I love thee. And Jesus said unto him, Feed my sheep. You see, he was grieved. But then he said, Okay, I'm going to turn that grief into worship. Because he said, I'm going to acknowledge, Jesus, that you know all things. I'm going to acknowledge, I'm setting you in your rightful place right now. I'm taking my head out of the game that I was in of condemnation. I'm taking out of my, uh, out of my guilt. And I'm getting to where I'm going to praise you now. Because I'm going to tell you that you know everything, God. You are the Lord of lords and you are the King of kings. When he made that statement that you know all things, you know that I love you. He was putting him in his rightful place, saying that you are my God and you are my Lord, and I acknowledge you as such. But we can't just rush over the very clear fact that there was three denials and there was three questions. Jesus was affirming unto Peter you love me Peter said yes I love you three times he said I don't he was making it very clear I don't care how many times you fail I don't care how many times Satan wants to come and sift you as wheat as long as you'll come back to the point to say God I forgive me God wash me God I want you to know that I love you he's still asking the question tonight do you love me you may have failed but do you love me you may have faltered but do you love me you may have denied me but do you love me come on somebody he's talking to us tonight saying hey I'm still here a God of grace I'm still here a God of mercy I'm still here a God that wants to reach an arm that is not shortened that it cannot reach out to you and lift you up out of what you're in he was letting Peter know just because you failed doesn't mean there's not a day of Pentecost. I don't think you heard what I just said. Just because you may have faltered last week doesn't mean that there's not someone that you need to witness to on the job. Just because you failed miserably in front of everybody, just because you are a public failure, doesn't mean that God's not going to use you to stand up and lift him up in the midst of your adversaries, in the midst of your trial. He's going to make you stand up and acknowledge him. There's a day of Pentecost coming, Peter. I got to use you, but I got to mold you first. I got to use you, but I got to have you willing to be used. I want to use you, but I got to have you be able to be my mouthpiece. Just because you failed, Peter. Just because you denied me three times doesn't mean that there's not a gate called beautiful where there's someone in need that is sitting there begging alms and you have to look down and tell them silver and gold have I none but such as I have rise take up thy bed and walk there's a bait there's a gate called beautiful Peter just because you failed don't mean that you're not gonna have that by no means does this give anybody or any person a license to sin? Don't stand and don't stomp on the grace of God. 
Don't, stet, don't spit in the face of mercy. It doesn't give you a license because there's grace. It doesn't give you the right to go out and willingly do what God has, has commanded us not to do. It does not give you the right to, but I'm telling you, if you falter and you stumble, rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, for when I fall, not if I fall, but when I fall, I'm getting up. I'm not staying down. I'm not sitting in the mire that I'm in because there's a gate called beautiful for me Peter because you denied me just because you denied me doesn't mean there's not a Cornelius that needs the Holy Ghost just because you failed, just because you faltered doesn't mean that there's not someone that you can reach out to in the midst of your brokenness and say, hey, I too was broken. Hey, I too was on the road. I too was a good man. I too was a good person living a good life. But there's something else along that goes with it. You've got to be born again of the water and of the spirit. You've got to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You've got to repent of your sins. There is a Cornelius in your life. as we all stand and they come to the music. When God calls you and fills you with the Holy Ghost, that gift is without repentance. He never repents that he fills anyone with the Holy Ghost. He never repents of the gifts that he gives you. He never repents of the calling. He never repented of the calling on my life. Never once is he going to repent of what he gives you. For the calling of God is sure. There is still a work for you to do. We may feel that our lives are not measuring up. We're not praying enough. We failed and we've not witnessed. We've blown our witness in the workplace. But God is not asking, or God is not looking at your failure. He's asking, Do you still love me? There's no one perfect, no, not one. But do you still love him? Repent. Turn away from what's causing your condemnation. And let him know with a resounding yes that yes, I still love you. Could it be that we just need to reconnect? And like Peter Get back to that place, to that point of brokenness where we found him. Because he's asking, standing on the banks of your life, he's asking you, do you still love me? Maybe we've forgotten what it is and where he's brought us from. Come ungrateful, but he's asking, 
do you still love me? I open these altars to each and every individual in this house. No one is perfect. Tonight, God sent this preacher with a message, with a question. Do you still love him like the first love where it was I'll do anything? I'll go anywhere. I'll fight any foe. I'll stand in the face of hell. You still have that resounding love. There is still a cause. There is still work to be done. There is still a calling. He's not repenting of what he's called you to do. As they sing, invite everyone to these altars to answer the question that God's asking. There's nothing wrong with coming down and saying, Jesus, I want you to know that life is fast and time flies, but I want you to know, God, that I still love you. God, I still want you in my life. I still want you in my heart and in my mind. I may have come short of the glory of God, but oh God, I still love you. God, would you ask me the question? And I will gladly say, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Though my heart and my mind sometimes may wonder. There's no doubt in my life that I still love you. To yours, to yours.